0: Shifting from right to left, play action to that side, rolling
1: right, looking, fires in the end zone. Kind of main, oh, touchdown! That's a tight end from 15 yards.
0: Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories podcast, season three, episode three. I'm Nick Carparelli, the executive director of Bowl Season, and today we are joined by Mountain West Conference Commissioner Gloria Navarez and NBC College Football Analyst Joshua Perry. If you missed any of our previous episodes, you can catch them on Spotify apple music youtube or anywhere else you listen to your podcast and if you enjoyed today's show we'd appreciate you to like subscribe and drop a five-star rating and as always you can follow all the bowl season news on our website bowlseason.com and on social media at bowl season today's show is brought to you by sport radar reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. our first guest is just the second commissioner in the 25-year history of the mountain west conference She's one of only nine female conference commissioners currently in Division I athletics and the first Latin American to ascend to the commissioner's chair at the Division I level. In addition to that, she has served on the prestigious NCA Transformation Committee. Please welcome to the show, Gloria Navarez. Gloria, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, you've been the commissioner of the Mountain West for just over eight months now. I'm sure it seems like a lot longer than that with everything that's been going on. But this means this is your first football season and your first bowl season in the commissioner's chair. Tell us about your specific bowl partnerships and why bowl games are so important to your football programs.
2: You know, we, we're really proud of our bowl tradition and history and we've won the bowl uh, cup at, for a record five times. Um, but what I find is really special about bowl season and the bowl experience is, you know, it's such a great opportunity for student athletes to experience something really special out of region at times. And and really our our viewership numbers have shown that the college football fans are still really tuning in and appreciate bowl season. So it's been a real positive.
0: Now, you're only the second female commissioner of an FBS conference. Judy McLeod at Conference USA was the first. Uh, Can you talk about the importance of female leadership in college athletics, specifically in the male-dominated sport of football?
2: Well, even just beyond gender, I feel that college athletics is probably one of the most diverse verticals in most industries, let alone higher education. And we're in the business of educating and growing young people through sport in the Academy of Higher Education. And I think it's imperative that the leadership we select to lead and mentor these young people reflect the diversity among the student athlete population and that. You know, is both gender, ethnicity, um, sexuality, uh, socioeconomic background, because our student athletes come from all walks of life.
0: That is, that is very true. Now, on the football field, last weekend was the first full weekend of games. One of the top stories was Wyoming's win over Texas Tech. The game even stirred up a little fun banter on Twitter between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes from those two schools. What are your thoughts on Wyoming's win and what do victories like that do for the Mountain West as a whole?
2: you know, first of all, that they're scheduling like that, you know, stepping up, taking their shots. And, and it really just goes to show the high quality of student athletes and coaches we have in the league. Um, You know, we had Fresno take one from Purdue, who was the divisional winner in the Big Ten. And, you know, it's something we take our pride in as a league, being able to compete at the highest level.
0: You mentioned earlier in the last 20 years, the Mountain West has won the bowl season challenge cup more than any other FBS conference. And for those listeners who don't know, that is given annually to the conference that has the highest winning percentage during bowl season each year. How important is it for the teams in your conference to perform well in bowl games? And talk a little bit more. I know you shared a little bit earlier. What are your thoughts on the importance of bowl games in general? And what do they do for the the student athlete experience, which seems to be overlooked sometimes these days?
2: Well, you know, one, I think the Bulls take great pride in introducing student athletes and their friends and families and fans into their communities. So that that's always wonderful hospitality opportunity. Um, but addition, that extra practice, that extra time for coaches to spend with student athletes, not only kind of putting a period on the end of their season, but also that creating that bridge and excitement for the coming year. And so ending on a W. Not everyone gets a chance to do that. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity.
0: No doubt. You remember a member of the Division I Transformation Committee. We mentioned that earlier, um, serving not just your conference, not just college football, but all of college athletics. That's not something in your job description, but, but uh, you took on that role. Please tell us, what was that committee charged with doing? And what are some of the positive changes that you feel have been recommended and instituted as a result?
2: Well, as you know, at the time, this was two, three years ago now, but still, I think we're feeling all the same issues. It's a tremendous pivot point in college athletics and there were lawsuits and legislative actions and all of it seeking to govern and change the way we conduct college sports. And the Constitutional Committee, which was phase one, and the Transformation Committee, which was phase two, was really designed to take a look at how we govern ourselves, how we provide great experiences to student athletes and you know, try to blank slate it and come up with a model that would allow this big organization that has so much diversity to be able to um, legislate a little bit more fleetly and adjust with the times. And so a lot of the work has been implemented. There's still a lot more work that is in the pipeline, but by and large, I think a lot of positive change has come out of it. Some of it's really behind the curtain type governance stuff that just allows us to move more quickly. And then I think the next big package has been about student athlete benefits. And so you've seen a lot of resources that are now mandatory um, for student athletes in Division One.
0: You know, just to kind of elaborate a little bit, I I, I loved one of the recommendations, which was across All of college athletics recommendation was that there should be more postseason opportunities for student athletes so as you look at college football right we went we're going from a 14 playoff to a 12 team playoff still not enough opportunities for the 133 fbs institutions that's where bowl games come in right some some people say that there's too many bowl games some people say there's not enough do you think that what the bowl system does is consistent with that recommendation of the transformation committee
2: well, you know, the NCAA governs FCS football and the bowl season separate, but a lot of the same philosophies applied. And I happen to be on the subcommittee that took a look at championships. And so we started from a place of honoring the 32 AQs, the automatic qualifiers for all the different leagues that sponsor a sport. And if you honor those 32 spots, if the goal is about allowing 15 to 20% of the entire sponsorship, the best 15 and 20% to get into a championship and compete for the title, then what does that field size have to be in order to honor the AQs and get the best teams in? And so it was a really interesting exercise because there's no magic wand. Every sport is different. The number of teams that are sponsored are different. You know, same again, same philosophy over here at FC or yeah, FCS, FBS. bowl subdivision is it's all about getting the best teams into the national title and providing that postseason experience.
0: Yep. Excellent. I need to ask you a little bit about conference realignment. I'm sure you don't love talking about it, but you spent some meaningful years during your career in the Pac-12. What are your thoughts on what has happened to that conference? And what do you see as the Mount West role moving forward as the only true West Coast FBS conference?
2: Well, I still have a lot of frustration and brokenheartedness. I have a lot of ties in the Pac-12. I went to Cal for law school and I worked there in their athletic department and grown up in the Bay Area. And I just, I can't believe a 108 year old conference is no longer going to exist, especially one with so much excellence. Um, So there's still a lot of sorting out to do. And I, and I think there's a lot of unanswered questions, but certainly at the Mountain West, We had a board meeting a couple of weeks ago and our presidents reaffirmed our position of commitment to the league and each other and very proud of what we do and have accomplished in the Mount West. And it's interesting, we're actually celebrating our 25th season. Our league was one of the original disruptors in conference realignment and we're relatively young compared to a lot of leagues out there.
0: Final question for you. In this time of great change in unpredictability in college athletics, I'm going to ask you to predict a little bit. What do you think or at least hope the next 12 months has in store for us?
2: Well, I certainly hope that we get into settling. I, I was optimistic that the start of seasons in the fall with cross-country soccer, volleyball, and football would help us focus on the games at hand and really just get about the business as usual and Winning titles and and hopefully we have a quiet period here in conference realignment.
0: Yeah, I hope so as well. I've been on both sides of the coin. Uh, I I enjoy watching college sports a lot more than I do uh, talking about it and and working the politics of it as I'm sure you do.
2: Yeah, well, Gloria, it was really fun to get out on campus and actually be in some games this past weekend. So I'm
0: sure those student athletes, they they change your perspective, don't they? When you're, when you're around them, they lift you up and you, you see you look them in the eyes and their energy, their passion. It kind of reminds you why we do this. So true. Well, Gloria, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Appreciate all you do for college athletics. We're very, very lucky to have you uh, working in college athletics and helping to make it better every day and uh, look forward to seeing you down the road.
2: Thank you, Nick. Appreciate being here.
0: The forecast for this tax season. It's going to rain refunds, lots of refunds. File for less and get more with Tax Act, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. Our next guest was selected in the fourth round of the 2016 NFL Draft by the San Diego Chargers after a four-year playing career with the Ohio State Buckeyes. He is currently a college football analyst for NBC and also hosts the daily sports talk show, The Rally. Please welcome to the show, Joshua Perry. Joshua, thanks for joining us.
1: No, I'm excited to be on the show. Uh, it's my favorite time of the year, no doubt. So uh, definitely looking forward to the conversation.
0: It's our favorite time of the year too, only to be exceeded by bowl season itself. So we kinda, we're kind of we we're building towards bowl season at this point, but uh, exciting first weekend for sure. I want to take you back uh, to, to your college days. Uh, The college football playoff has been around for nine years now. This will be the tenth. You were part of the very first CFP national championship team nine years ago at Ohio State. Tell us what that was like and your memories from that
1: season and the championship game in particular. Yeah, it was a lot of unknown for us. That was the wild part about it. Is uh, as we went through the season, we didn't exactly know what the process was going to be like. Everybody was used to the BCS and the computers, and you kind of knew what you had to do uh, to be one of the top two teams at the end of the year, but. Uh, Having the human element of the committee, we didn't know exactly what the criteria was going to look like. Uh, So it was unique from that standpoint. And then my team sustained a loss early on in week two uh, to Virginia Tech at home. We were, I believe, a double-digit favorite in that game, and uh, we ended up losing big. And so at that point, we didn't know if that put us out of the running for being able to make it to the CFP. Uh, We just knew that we had to handle business from there on out. So we kind of put our head down, and we didn't pay attention Uh, too much to what was going on externally, but after the rankings started coming out later in the year, we saw where we were, and then week by week, we started moving up the rankings. We figured out, okay, maybe this thing is still an opportunity. Um, We get to conference championship weekend, and I think we were fifth in the CFP ranking at that point, and this was before there was a Big 12 championship game, so we had an opportunity uh, to leapfrog a team ahead of us because we have an extra data point. So we played Wisconsin and Lucas Oil Stadium for the Big Ten Championship. We beat them 59 to nothing. And this was with a first-time starting quarterback in Cardell Jones because JT Barrett got hurt the week before against Michigan. And after the game, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, we did the best we could. Let's see what happens after this. And so we woke up the next morning. We didn't have a big watch party. I think Urban Meyer, who's my coach, kind of had a fear that we might not make it in. And when we saw our name pop up, as the the last team to get in there, everybody was stoked. He called a team meeting. We sat down. We had conversations about the way to proceed forward. But there was a lot of intrigue for us because everything was new, and there were a lot of surprises, and we certainly didn't know how it was going to go. Uh, but I think the main takeaway is this was a system that I think allowed a team that uh, was going to have to improve throughout the year to still have a shot to win a, a national title. We were not a great team. At the start of 2014, but by the end of the year, we were the best team in college football, and so we were fortunate to just have a chance to be the last team in there, and then we could make a run at things.
0: And and in hindsight, it was you. It's very rare that a, the fourth seed does well in the CFP. You were the uh, only one to to win the championship for years. The the fourth seed was getting blown out, but but now here we are this year, will be the tenth and final year of the fourteen playoff before we begin the new twelve team format next year. Give us your thoughts on the four-team system you were a part of versus the 12-team system we'll see next season.
1: I, I enjoyed the four-team system, certainly. I think it was a, uh, you know, it, really, it was supposed to be a way to get really competitive games. It hadn't always been that way, but I think in any given year, you could make an argument that um, maybe the top six or so teams could uh, win a championship. So from a 12-team standpoint, I think it is a big field. But the thing that I appreciate is now we give schools an opportunity to redefine success for themselves. And I think that's a big thing moving forward. I look at a team from the conference that I played in that I cover very closely in Penn state, and they've been really good for the last handful of years, but also you have to play Michigan. Who's been great and made it to the CFP the last two years in a row and Ohio state, who's been the CFP a ton of times every single year in division up until next year, when divisions go away, certainly, but um, you go 10 wins, and you could be uh, uh, playing in the Rose Bowl and folks do not see it as successful because you didn't make the college football playoff. Well, now all of a sudden, Penn State, if you look back uh, and, you know, what the rankings would have been like, they make it in the CFP a few times. And now that's a program that gets to redefine the way that they have had success. They can parlay that on the recruiting trail a little bit more, probably get some more donors to throw a little bit more money out there, which we know is how teams stay competitive. So for me, what I love about having a 12-team field is now you bring more teams into a scenario where they can say, listen, we're really competitive this year. We had a great year. We made it to the playoff. Now all of a sudden, uh, you can tell recruits, listen, we're going to be a team that has a shot at the end of the year. You can talk to your donors and say, listen, if we really want to make it next year, like not just be in it, but we want to be a real competitor here, we need your assistance. And I think that that helps Uh, a lot of programs kind of level up from where they're at right now is a team that's petering on being one of the elite teams to now maybe pulling more teams up to into that elite echelon. Well, you really hit the
0: jackpot with bowl trips in terms of destinations. Your three bowl: <laughs> the Orange Bowl in Miami, Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, Fiesta Bowl in Arizona. What were some of the best memories you had on those trips? Everybody across the country turns on the TV on, on game day and watches the game. But you're, you know, maybe not everybody knows you're there five, six days, uh, preparing for the game, obviously, but but having a lot of fun, having uh, some unique experiences with some of your best friends. Tell us about some of those.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was great. Uh, you mentioned the destinations. We couldn't have been any luckier uh, as a, a bunch of, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds getting the uh, the opportunity, especially coming from the Midwest to go somewhere a little bit warm where we could have some fun. But I remember we went to Miami, and our hotel was right there by the beach, so a lot of guys were spending time outside. Uh, we had a great time there Um, one of the things that i always appreciated was how much planning goes into these events and throughout the week and so there are opportunities for you to um, spend time with your team going out to dinner going out to um, you know a a competitive kind of event where you know you get some of the fans in there and they get to see how the players really interact we had opportunities to do joint events with the other teams which was great um, I always thought the media opportunities were really cool too. And I think especially now in the day and age of name, image, and likeness, these athletes have an opportunity to continue to grow their brand and be in front of media people, uh, which I think is wonderful. And so for me, it was a great experience. I know some of the trips were a little bit more locked down for us, um, just in terms of what we were playing for. Like in 2014, the fun was was a little bit more minimal just because we knew what the moment was. But uh, when we played in the Orange Bowl, Um, It was a a time where guys could really get out and and really enjoy um, spending time in Florida. Our families, most of them had the opportunity to travel too. So spending time with family around the holidays was great. And then going out to Arizona for the Fiesta Bowl, I thought was the best one because um, you can just go and, you know, I know you're talking about college kids bar hopping, but um, you can just spend time. You can go from place to place and and really just enjoy the night and kind of. Um, let loose a little bit. And so for us, I think it is a big reward for all the work that you put in during the season to be able to celebrate with a a well-planned bowl trip um, where, you know, it's once in a lifetime. And I know teams kind of, is what they dream of, right? If you're a team who's not necessarily a contender every year, the opportunity to go to new Orleans or to go to Miami, uh, to go to Scottsdale or to be out at the Rose bowl, it's, it's the thing that you dream of.
0: I'll talk a little bit about um, your recruitment journey coming out of high school. You grew up only 30 minutes from Ohio stadium. Was being a Buckeye always the dream or did you have any other schools or coaches you were interested in throughout the
1: recruitment process? No, being a Buckeye was my dream and I'm like so happy I got to live it out. And and it, it's been, it was probably the most impactful decision that I've made in my life because it opened me up to different opportunities. I don't think I get to be um you know, on the platforms that I am right now in media so quickly if I didn't have um, the experience of playing for a, uh, a big brand and also having a lot of success there. So I'm fortunate for that. Um, I looked at other schools. If I didn't go to Ohio State, I was going to take the opportunity um, to get a free education at a really high academic institution. So I looked at Duke and Vanderbilt. Um, which Duke just had a, a huge win uh, week one on prime time. So that program is certainly on the rise right now. Um, Looked a little bit at Notre Dame. Stanford was probably the school that I wanted to go to because I'm like, man, you know, if I go to one of these schools, might as well go out to California and live a little bit. Uh, But it was the goal to play for the hometown team for me. Now, interestingly enough, I committed to Jim Trestle. He resigned, and Urban Meyer was the head coach there. Our tenure started essentially at the same time. January 2012, I enrolled at Ohio State as a 17 year old kid who still had a half a year of high school. That I finished up uh, in the first um, semester and I'm on campus for about five days and coach Meyer walks up to me and he's like Perry I need to talk to you so he pulls me off to the side and he tells me point blank that he didn't think that I could play at Ohio State and that he would not have recruited me had he been the coach during my recruitment and that was a pivotal moment for me because I had to make a decision about what type of player I wanted to be. Because I was a guy who didn't have the edge that he was looking for. And I was a guy who maybe wasn't the highest end athlete. Um, But that was a, you can leave here and you can disappear and go somewhere else or you can put the work in and become a great player. And I chose the latter and that really paid off for me. So it was definitely a a little bit of a wild recruitment uh, with kind of a scandal going on at Ohio State and then a coaching change. But I think those moments really prepared me for bigger moments down the line. In my collegiate career, my professional football career, and then ultimately now as a media professional.
0: So your new coach telling you that you could you could go one of two ways. You can kind of go in a shell and doubt yourself and and, and make some different decisions, or you can kind of you know buck up a little bit and say, okay, I'm going to prove him wrong, uh, which he obviously did. Do you do you think looking back on it that was a motivational tactic on his part,
1: or do you think he really believed that? I think there was truth to it. I think it was a motivational tactic. I think both things were true, uh, where it it forced me to look at myself because I think that was the first time as an athlete I had been told that I wasn't good enough. And uh, that was a wake up call. And it is a very competitive environment when you're at a place like Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia or Michigan or uh, some of these blue bloods like they they have a philosophy to recruit past the class that they just brought in. And I watched that happen throughout my career where I was a a four star kid, but I wasn't super highly recruited. And Urban started bringing in linebackers that were five stars and they were national kids, kids from Georgia, kids from Texas, kids from North Carolina. And his mentality was if we missed in the last class, that's perfectly fine because we got some dudes that are ready to play. And so every year I felt pressure that I had to continue to develop my game. And so I think part of it was the truth, that he was going to have guys that were better than me, and I wasn't going to play if I couldn't live up to it. I think the other part was, if there is greatness inside this kid, we're going to get it out of him, because we're going to motivate the heck out of him, we're going to coach the heck out of him, and then ultimately, the decision is going to be his, how he wants to respond to all that.
0: That's, that's a great story. Obviously, you responded really well. Um, it was your dream to go to Ohio State. It's every player's dream to hear their name called in the NFL draft, and that happened for you. Walk us through draft day 2016. What were your expectations heading into the draft? And where were you that day?
1: Yeah, so uh, I spent the draft at home and we didn't have a big draft party or anything. I was told by my agent that there was a chance I could be taken anywhere between uh, late second round and late fourth round. And so that's the difference between day two and day three. Um, so obviously there was no reason to go through the draft. But for me, I'm like, man, if I have this party on the second day and then I don't get picked, I'm going to be a miserable person. So it was me and my mother and father, uh, my younger brother, my older brother, uh, was living in California at the time, which is pretty cool. Because when I got to San Diego, I was like an hour and a half away from him. So um, it was great for us. But uh, just the idea of the anticipation and the waiting was something that was really hard for me to deal with. But when I did get that phone call with Pure elation. Uh, we had a great time celebrating together. We invited some people over afterward. And then the work begins. And it's such a, a weird transition from, man, I realized my dream to all of a sudden. It's like, I didn't realize anything. Like I just got the opportunity. I got to go out there as a fourth round pick. And I've got to figure out a way to, to create value for this organization. Um, and so there's a roller coaster of emotions. And I think that it is a moment um, that should be celebrated because rarely uh, do you know kids that you play with and pee wee all the way up. Like It's a rare thing for anybody to make it to that level. But then after that, it's all about being a professional and, and seizing the moment and the opportunity.
0: You retired from
1: the NFL, but not from football.
0: Uh, you had an opportunity after your playing days were over to work for the Big Ten Network first. Now you're with NBC. Uh, great opportunity for you as the NBC is taking on a Big Ten uh, game coverage. What was the transition from player to studio analyst like? Do you feel like your outlook on the game has changed now versus your playing days?
1: It's been a unique transition. And when I got out of football, I retired due to concussion. So my retirement came a lot earlier than I thought it would. And I had to pivot. And I always thought that I was going to get into business. So I started selling real estate and I had opportunities to do local media covering Ohio State. And I was like, all right, let me take these opportunities. I was telling all my bosses who were like, hey, yeah, let's bring you in. I'm like, I've never done this before. I don't know how good I'm going to be. there. like, you'll be fine. Um, and so I started doing it. I fell in love with it. I really started putting the work behind it. And then really, I was a beneficiary of being in the right place at the right time, because when I got the opportunity with Big Ten Network, I don't know if they were necessarily looking to bring on new talent, um, but there there were ways that they could incorporate me and they decided to. And then when... I got this opportunity with NBC. I was coming up on the end of my contract with the Big Ten Network, and and I don't know if I would be at NBC if I still had contract things to work through. So obviously timing's a big part of it. uh, There's a lot of work. My outlook on the game is unique now because my playing days aren't that far behind me. So I still see a lot of myself in in the guys that I get to cover. And so I think we have a duty and responsibility to uh, treat – the athletes with the utmost importance. And, and specifically when I was at the big 10 network, I knew a lot of the guys that we were covering, you know, it might be, we've got Rutgers taking on Indiana. Um, and it's not going to be a game that's going to be on, on one of the big networks, but these kids have family, they've got parents, they got grandparents that are tuning in and it might be the only time that they really get to hear uh, their kid's name on television and, and really, deep dive on some of these players. And so I thought it was important to make sure that we could always treat that responsibly. I think we're also in a very unique day and age now with the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness and the expansion of the college football playoff that we get to talk more about just X's and O's. There are a lot of topics that we can dive into. And I think that our voices and opinions and media really matter to the folks that watch us. And so it's been great. I love what I get to do. I tell people all the time, like I would sit up at a local bar and I would talk football all day long. And I've got people that are willing to give me a paycheck to do it. I'm one of the most fortunate guys in America, but um, it's certainly a job that I think we take seriously too. Like it is a game, but it's real life for a lot of people. And the amount of work that goes into it from the players to the coaches, support staff administration, uh, we got to make sure that we do right by them.
0: Good segue into my last question for you, Joshua. If you have, uh, one piece of advice for young young players, either looking to play at the college level or those that are already in college and and you were going to tell them how to maximize that experience, what would you say to them?
1: I would say work is the most important thing, and that's whether it's on the field, off the field, academically, you have to put the work in. And when you don't, it catches up to you. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. And, and when you're an elite athlete, a lot of times you were able to get by. By putting in maybe the baseline amount of work. But when you get into that competitive environment, it's not going to be enough. So the work is important. Secondly, never say no. If there's an opportunity, you know, coach calls your name and he asks you to do something, maybe a position change or your guy who never played special teams before. And all of a sudden it's like, this is going to be your segue to get on the field. You have to take those opportunities. I would say the same thing off the field is never say no if there is an opportunity to be charitable in the community, you say yes to it. If there's an opportunity to sit in front of the media and give an interview, you say yes to it. It's part of the reason why I'm in media now is all the times when I was at Ohio State and nobody else wanted to do the Tuesday or Monday media availability because Monday's our day off. I'd be at the facility, I would trot out there and people realize, oh, this guy can talk a little bit and he gives us some information that maybe has a unique perspective. So never say no. And then finally, Be in the moment, and what I mean by that is I think we get caught up, and especially when you're at a place where expectations are high, you get caught up in what you're going to be at the end of the year, and then you lose sight of everything that goes on in between it. And the four years that you're in college go by extremely quickly. Like, no, people say it all the time. They're like, oh, you know, enjoy it because it's going to go by fast. And when you're young, it's like, yeah, whatever. But after four years, you're looking up, and it's like, I don't get to do this anymore. Uh, and then you start thinking about the moments that maybe you weren't kind of present and there all the time. Be in the moment, enjoy what you're doing, and ultimately put the work in because those are going to be the things that make you successful.
0: it is really all about the moments when you think about it, Joshua. And you look back, right? We we get so fixated on the on the goal, the destination, and and your memories are the moments, right? The moments in between that the the process, the time with your friends. Uh he, even the tough days when you're working, uh, those, those are the best stories looking back on them.
1: No doubt. No doubt. It's uh, we talk about it all the time. When I'm texting my friends, it's not about, Hey, you remember when we played Alabama in the sugar bowl, or you remember the national championship game? It was like, Hey, you know, you remember during spring ball, do you remember during training camp? Like those are the moments that we all really bond over. And those are the moments that you talk about the most when you're done.
0: No doubt. Well, Joshua, thanks for joining us. Uh, You were a lot of fun to watch as a player. I'm enjoying watching your second career develop. You're, you're, you're really good already. And uh, I know you're even going get to be- get better at it. And I uh, look forward to seeing you on the air over the years. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: I appreciate the invite. Thank you. Well, that'll do it for this week's
0: podcast. If you missed any of our past episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to our podcast. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the bowl season news on our website, bullseason.com and on social media at bowl season. Thanks for listening.